Hey, thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. If you like this episode, please follow us and tell one of your colleagues about the interview you're about to hear or have heard in the past. We hope you enjoy our conversations and that you'll listen to others in our library. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please reach out. We'll do our best to incorporate them. Thanks again. Hello, listeners. Today's conversation takes us into a deep dive in the construction industry across the Pacific Northwest with Brett Ernest, the Senior Vice President of the Western Region for Clark Construction. Brett, who is based in Seattle, leads Clark Construction Group's project development and delivery efforts in the Pacific Northwest. He is responsible for the company's work in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Brett has worked on many notable projects in the region, including the SeaTac International Arrivals Facility, the Washington State Convention Center, the Department of Veterans Affairs Puget Sound Healthcare System Mental Health and Research Facility, the Washington State University Digital Classroom Building, and the University of Washington Seismic Improvements. He joins us from his Seattle office, where we talk about the early days of the company in the region and how his role and the size of the projects have evolved over time. We also talk about the challenges that the industry is facing today and what the years ahead hold in store. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Brett, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Vlad? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Uh, Downtown Seattle, uh, looking out at the, uh, after a day of snow yesterday, looking out at some beautiful sunshine. Yes, and, and we should say it's early November, and we saw snow already in Seattle, which is pretty incredible. Um, Brett, uh, just as kind of a you know way of introduction, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, uh, you know, how the you know winding road of your career kind of got you to Seattle, uh, to a snowy Seattle in November here in 2022. Yeah, no, thank you, and, and happy to do so. So I am the division president of Clark Construction, Pacific Northwest. Uh, I will be uh, 20 years with Clark, June of 2023, so coming up to 20 years. Uh, and I, I did have a winding road, which has given me a lot of great opportunities. Uh, I started in the Mid-Atlantic area um, in the Bethesda, Maryland area, working in special projects. Uh, moved out to Southern California, where I had worked on a number of projects in Los Angeles uh, and the surrounding areas. Um, and then I moved to the Bay Area uh, to oversee operations and pre-construction uh, on a number of projects before having the opportunity to come to Seattle in tw- late 2012, 2013, um, and be employee number one to uh, grow to what we are today, which has been exciting to see those different marketplaces uh, and grow throughout my career working on different projects. Um, it's been a, It's been a lot of fun here over the past 20 years. Yeah. So just as uh, kind of a you know quick background also, what is the timeline of the company here in the Pacific Nor- Northwest market? Yeah. So, so Clark Construction, we're a 117-year-old privately owned general contractor. Uh, but here in the Pacific Northwest, we had done a few projects in the late 90s. And we do have a, a wholly owned subsidiary, Guy F. Atkinson, who's been here for well over 40 years. But our okay. presence really... Uh, we reintroduced ourselves to the Pacific Northwest in 2013. Um, at that point in time, Gary Olsner, our director of pre-construction, and I were knocking on doors trying to understand how we could differentiate ourselves in what is uh, is clearly a provincial and parochial market here in the Pacific Northwest. 
um, and found our opportunity through project delivery methods like design build uh, and progressive design build, as well as some really complex projects that we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, and we've grown from the two of us to 135 folks in the uh, Seattle office. And we have done over $500 million worth of work in revenue here over the past uh, year over year for the past four years. Yeah, great. Excellent. So as you kind of moved, uh, you know, from Southern California to Northern California up to up to the Pacific Northwest here, um, tell us about sort of the process of, you know, building a business, if you will, you know, how you established it. Um, I think, you know, there was, you know, at some point, I'm sure, you know, very long nights in terms of, you know, putting together a business plan and, you know, how all that happened. Um, it is it is an interesting story and I would, I'd love to sort of, you know, hear it from you in terms of, you know, how all that came came together. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I'd say I came up through operations, through project management, time in the field. And I think like other people that have, have gone through that path, changing from an operations uh, mindset to a business development and true business perspective, um, you really have to to change that mindset. And, and it took me a little bit of time to figure out how to do that. Um, you go from wins out on a job site of topping out and closing in and getting permanent power and having very tangible milestones to going to meetings and understanding, um, you know, what your true differentiators are and how you sell yourself. But uh, having a meeting, not knowing exactly what's going to come to fruition is a very different set of milestones than the tangible ones on a job site. So what we really did was took a step back and said, you know, what is uh, unfolding in the Pacific Northwest coming out of the economic downturn of, you know, 2008 to 2012? And how can we come and add value really to the Pacific Northwest? Design build was still somewhat new and there were large complex public projects like the convention center um, projects at the airport that we said, you know, we've got this experience on those types of large complex projects, as well as those delivery methods. Um, now let's figure out how we can triangulate the partnerships that we have around the country and build new partnerships in the Northwest. And it was really taking off that operations hat, putting on the strategic um, strategy and business development hat to find out where we really add value. There are a lot of great folks here in the Northwest um, and we needed to make sure that we could come in and, and truly add value to our clients and our partners. And so where were some of those early successes for you guys? Yeah, so uh, early success um, really dates back to that 2013, 2014. It was really relying on strategic alliances that we had from around the country, design partners, trade partners, uh, clients, and the first few big wins we had with Washington State University that we met through uh, the Design Build Institute of America, um, with the VA, who obviously is a, a federal client that had a great opportunity for us to continue our behavioral mental health work, um, and the SeaTac International Rivals Facility, working with the board on a progressive design build project uh, that is a new gateway for international passengers to to come to the United States and, and specifically to come here to Seattle. Yeah, and 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 that's an interesting uh, sort of point that you make about that because certainly over the last decade, I think Seattle has kind of taken, you know, a step forward in terms of becoming kind of a more prominent economic center in the in the country overall. And so the development of the of the convention center, the expansion of the airport, all these things that you guys worked on, I mean, has really sort of set the stage, I think, for 
for the region to to expand. Um, what what are your you know thoughts on that? Some some you know perspective in terms of you know as you've seen employers you know hire more people, the region grow. Um, you know what what are your what are your kind of you know you know uh, thoughts and projections around you know what 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 that means for the for the region you know in general. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you know, plainly stated, it it's amazing progress just in the ten plus years that I've been here to see the the growth, specifically in the infrastructure. There's clearly great companies, the Amazons and Microsofts, Boeing's. The list goes on and on. But the infrastructure and the planning that took place to set the city up and the region up for that expansion, um, we are. You know, we couldn't be more proud of the role that we've played in that, uh, being stewards of taxpayer dollars for the convention center, for the international rivals facility um, that is going to continue to bring people in both for short stints, whether it be a convention um, or their first time entering the United States and building a home here. Um, I'd also say that branches out to Gaia Atkinson and working on sound transit and the work that's happened for sound transit to be able to give public transportation a new meaning here in the Pacific Northwest and and the, the, the continued success that the city has um, focused on the infrastructure that provides the ability to continue to grow, not just in the, um, the central business district, but throughout uh, the region as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that trend continuing, obviously? I mean, I don't think that's, there's any indication of it slowing down for the region at all. No, I, I think that it may look a little bit different as how transit-oriented development looks around sound transit nodes yeah, and yeah. how people continue to to look at the, the work-life balance. And, and I, I know we'll likely talk about COVID, but what that working situation looks like, I think it may look a bit different, but uh, the infrastructure only sets us up for success in both the near term and in the future. Yeah. As, as we sit here kind of at the beginning or kind of midway, maybe perhaps through the, you know, fourth quarter of 2022, um, obviously a lot of things kind of, you know, looming on the horizon that are that are unpredictable. But you guys seem to be on the front end of development and uh, commercial real estate activity in general. How do you guys, you know, look at look at the sort of state of the industry, you know, you know, today and, you know, maybe some some thoughts about, you know, what might be coming coming forth here for us? Yeah, well, I, I think that it's uh, it's been an interesting time and a series of interesting times here over the past few years. Um, 2023 is going to be interesting in a different way than 2022 was. I, I do believe that we're, st- we're starting to see some relief on the supply chain and or at least more predictability. Um, relief might not be the right word, but predictability and, and un- better understanding what challenges from microchips to aluminum extrusions and how we can better plan and better inform our clients um, as to what to expect. I do think that one of the changes that we will continue to see is how the um, economic, both local, national, and global economics are really impacting our, our industry. Interest rates going up, you know, the first thought is that that means that borrowing for big projects becomes more challenging. That certainly is the case, but I think of it across the spectrum and also look at the small businesses that really um, bank on, uh, or maybe better said, really focus on their cash flow and understanding how that cost of money is going to impact them. 
trade partners, design partners, and clients are all going to be impacted by the raising interest rates, the cost of money, and what that means for individual projects, and the the overall health of our industry. Um, having trade partners be at financial risk um, and going under or taking on more work that they have um, uh, challenging contracts to meet because they need to have that revenue stream and cash flow stream really puts different stresses on our industry that we really need to be focused on. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and what about what about people? Are there still challenges throughout the industry in terms of you know hiring and finding the right kind of labor? I know that was a big issue even pre-COVID, but I, I can only imagine sort of during the last couple of years that continued to be an, uh, be an acute concern for, for everybody. Yeah, it, it, it still very much is. Um, the, the, it's a small industry. People know one another. People really uh, get excited about, as they should, people's experiences. Uh, what we have really been focused on is is the right culture and bringing in the right folks to help continue to build our region in the right way, not just from a revenue perspective, but uh, from a, a cultural perspective, having the right people in our organization to to grow the, the way that we want, which is is really focused on growing our individuals. Um, now, that being said, it, it has been a very tight market. It'll be interesting here in 2023 how, how that changes depending on what projects continue to move forward, which ones uh, get put on pause. But I think that the, the interesting factor that we're seeing here as of late, as um, the, the dynamics of the workplace continue to change, is we're seeing more folks... Um, spending more time in the offices across different industries. I've really spoken to a lot of friends. And, and although the the general contracting construction management industry, I'd say for the most part, we need to be out on job sites. But what we have seen more recently, uh, specifically with big tech layoffs and, and interest rates um, rising is more folks wanting to be closer to um, their leadership. Um, I think that we did see a bit of a gap of um, the on-the-job training, if you will, of you know hearing something across the office or or having that instantaneous feedback, not having to set up every single meeting via Zoom. Um, so I think that we will start to see a changing dynamic of um, the workplace and the talent and, and who wants to be working in different arenas. Brett, you know, usually times of disruption like we've had in the last you know twenty four months or so are usually, or, or can also be times for you know great great innovation. And I know over the last sort of few years, as technology has kind of seeped into every aspect of our lives and every sort of part of the uh, industry in general, um, how has that manifested itself in you know construction and maybe perhaps you know specifically with what you know you guys do? Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting question, and what we really focus on is is. You know, over the 117 years we've been in business, our goal is to transform ideas and visions of our clients into world-class assets. And how can we continue to do that in strategic ways that are meaningful to those clients? Um, and over the past several years, we have formed either internally or with existing uh, uh, strategic partners what is, what is the biggest challenge to our clients? In economic times, like we have right now, that could be financing challenges. Um, we have a, um, uh, a public-private 
partnership entity, Edgemore, that we look at strategic opportunities with public entities as to how we can provide financing when there aren't financing opportunities. Um, from a sustainability perspective, we have a strategic alliance with Altura, who looks at repositioning and commissioning and understanding specifically as you know, in the city of Seattle and nationwide, there are commitments, um, I'd say some sticks and carrots uh, for sustainability and carbon neutrality and how we can get in front of helping clients really look at that master plan from carbon neutrality and, and how that really like a zipper ties into their overall master plan. And as we look at those different innovations, what we're always trying to do is say, how do we add value to our client? How do we make a historically inefficient industry more efficient? And at the end of the day, going back to the people side of things, how do we continue to intrigue our people? Our biggest asset is and will continue to be our people and taking those ideas to the forefront of, of how we can um, better our industry and, and add value to our clients. In terms of um, in terms of you know some of the you know n new things that you feel are you know coming up um, you know whether it's you know certain tools that are used or certain ways of thing things are done, are there some things that are that are exciting that are on the horizon? You know, I'm always kind of thinking of. Um, uh, you know when you know when you when you look back and 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 you sort of you know look at an industry or look at a certain process that was done a certain way and you know often we'll say oh, it's never going to be done that way again we've now sort of crossed a new phase of you know how how this is done and I'm curious in you know construction if if we're reaching that point where there's enough innovation um, to, to a certain degree where things are going to be just done you know, differently, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a certain way that, you know, projects are done or how you partner with these organizations. And, and I'm just also curious about sort of, you know, the operations of it, you know, how, how that might be uh, um, evolving as well. So I think we, what we've really seen from an innovation perspective is, is twofold, one on the pre-construction side, one in the operation side and pre-construction. It, it's been amazing over the past decade to see, how the utilization of historic data, we've got 117 years of that, um, is utilized to better inform our estimates, having in-house economists understanding escalation and supply chain, all of that to better inform our clients is, is really a dynamic that has, has shifted in lieu of just going out to the market, understanding what the current costs are. It really gives us the opportunity to, to challenge the market and uh, understand what may be coming. From an operational perspective, um, I mean, it used to be, uh, hey, how do we utilize uh, BIM and VDC for clash detection? And and how do we continue to reduce them out of, of RFIs? That has, has become table stakes, if you will, um, and truly utilizing um, virtual design and construction to ensure that we understand everything in the ground. We've got tools uh, and strategic alliances, uh, one of which is with a company called Coda, to truly understand everything that's in the ground to ensure that there's not unforeseen conditions uh, hit the ground running anytime we, we start a project up. And then utilizing prefabrication to really uh, improve safety, improve our efficiencies, reduce waste on job sites, and then continuing technologies of 
um, everything from in-wall inspections and understanding what's behind a wall to um, uh, metering different pieces of equipment to understand uh, how uh, clients can continue to progress the ball on carbon neutrality and how they can continue to update their commissioning statuses and their equipment over time. And all of this data continue, continuously being mined to better improve not just individual clients, but our industry. Yeah. Well. So it sounds like it will never be done the same like it was 10 years ago, <laughs> based on all no, of these new I, things, right? Yeah, it's crazy to think that things just 10 years ago, it's almost like technology, it seems archaic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let me switch to that, actually, and some, you know, lessons learned. I mean, you've now, um, you know, you helped build a business plan for the organization. The business plan was executed. You know, here we are, you know, a decade plus later, right? Um, tell us, you know, some things that, you know, were predicted well, <laughs> maybe, and some things that were, you know, interesting and kind of, you know, surprising to uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I go back to twofold. One, uh, I think things that we were excited about and that, that came to fruition is we had the experience and the opportunity to to bring value and uh, new delivery methods and, and complex projects, and, and we'll continue to be able to do that. I do think going from the operations side of uh, the, the house where I had grown up and had the opportunity to, to work with great mentors and develop folks that I had worked with, coming to a new region, um, and, and, you know, starting from scratch, um, A, the, the barriers to entry were, were pretty high, specifically in the, the greater Seattle area. Um, and I don't think that you can ever um, truly estimate how challenging it is to build a new culture, specifically in a new geographic area. Um, but, you know, one of the things I like to say is we're, we're really built in thirds here, a third of folks that came from different regions and had the, the Clark culture, a third of folks that we um, brought in what we, we think of professional hires that had local experiences here in the region, including my business partner, Eric Olson. Uh, and then a, a really exciting part of that third is folks that we hired right out of school, um, mainly uh, from universities here in the Northwest, uh, University of Washington, WSU, Central, uh, Oregon, Oregon State. Um, but m melding those cultures and those personalities to have one region that fits certainly within the confines of the culture of Clark, but having our own identity, um, the opportunities and challenges that, that come with building culture is something that I don't think I could have ever estimated and something that continually changes. Uh, it's, it's the most exciting and the most challenging thing that, that I've been a part of uh, in my entire career. Yeah, interesting. And um, I'd be remiss also to not, you know, try to insert some conversation here, kind of how the last 24 months have transformed the organization and the industry as a whole. And I, I don't want to sort of spend too much time on, you know, COVID, but um, I am curious sort of, you know, for for you, I mean, that was obviously a big unexpected um, disruptor in the industry and obviously for, for your company. Um, what were some of the lessons learned through that process that you will be, you know, taking on forward? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that regardless of how much we plan, um, you need to be ready to pivot. Um, coming out of the mega projects that, that you had mentioned, Convention Center and, and the SeaTac International Arrivals Facility, our plan was to diversify, and it still is, but the diversification looks a little bit different. Um, we have a history of um, having a diversified range of projects, both in size as well as market sector. Here in Seattle, we're known 
for the big complex projects, like I had mentioned before. But the, 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 the diversity that we were looking at uh, in private versus public, if we had just completed a $56,000, yes, not 56,000 square foot or 56 million, but a $56,000 special projects group project um, for a private healthcare organization here locally. So we're continuing to look at those jobs and, and size and scale, but some of the clients that we were talking to, we've shifted from how do we get them into operations to how do we continue to add value in a pre-construction service until they're ready to execute. So it's really been pivoting and shifting the dynamic of how we diversify. That's from the, the product type perspective. I think the other side of what the past 24 months has shown us is that we need to be able to pivot from the needs of our people. Once again, our biggest asset is our people and um, things have changed drastically as to, to how people live and work and uh, what expectations are. Um, I think that it's, you know, embracing the, the, the challenge and, and looking at how we stay true to our core values while um, understanding that specifically um, in, you know, Q2 of 2020, people did, literally didn't know what their, children were going to need from a education perspective on a day-to-day -day basis and, and having accountability while having flexibility and, and really trying to, uh, to weigh that and, and revisit it at the right cadence. And, and at one point in time, it was almost on a daily basis. Uh, right. Now, thankfully it's not as frequent, but continue to look at that uh, as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah. We touched a little bit, um, into sort of some of the headwinds coming uh, for us, you know, here in late 2022, 2023. But I want to focus more on the opportunities and kind of things that you feel are going to be exciting for the industry in the in the next year, eighteen months, twenty four months. Um, w what are those things in your in your in your mind? Well, something I'm I'm really excited about is what we've been able to do here since 2014, working on the VA Mental Health and Research Building is is the light that has finally been shed on the, the national and, and global challenges that behavioral mental health uh, provide uh, our communities uh, or haven't provided our communities, probably better said. Um, working on the VA Mental Health and Research Building, uh, our University of Washington Behavioral Health Teaching Facility, and most recently now working on the Western State Hospital Project, um, continuing to to bring our expertise to the behavioral mental health design and construction um, platform and working with both public and private healthcare clients and really seeing a change in the dynamic of, uh, of how healthcare organizations um, are looking at behavioral and mental health. Um, it's a, a very unique and very specific type of care and takes very specific um buildings and um, maybe better said, it, it, it takes different environments than what Interesting. Yeah. a typical yeah. uh, um, healthcare environment looks like. So continuing to, to push that forward. And I also think that it's, it's really, um, you know, what is going to be exciting about 2023 in particular is how we look at conquering these challenges and how we pivot specifically um, providing our people opportunities outside of billion dollar opportunities so that they can grow and we can grow as an organization. We've got a, a lot of really great opportunities that are, you know, on a smaller scale um, uh, of which people probably don't typically recognize us for 
Um, but the the one to five million dollar projects, we've been working at the University of Washington on a 25 building um, seismic um, retrofit and renovation um, series of projects, taking that same same mentality of of how do we service our clients regardless of the size and scale to understand how they need to pivot, whether that's from small projects, whether that's from carbon neutrality, whether that's a a pivot to repositioning, but really how we can take the experiences we have and and add value to our clients. Yeah. And what's interesting about all of those, uh, you know, you know, um, very significant projects is there's, there's not a whole lot of discussion about office. I, I think office is going to probably be, you know, an, an, an area of maybe that, 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 that might take a pause for, for, a, for a little while here. Do you guys see the same uh, from s- some of your projections into the industry? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting how, you know, the end user really dictates that. If, if there's repositioning, modification of what that workspace looks like, um, if there's new assets brought to market to uh, incentivize people to come back to the office, um, and I think that there's a, a very interesting dynamic that's taking place as to um, what amenities look like. I, I remember four years ago, it was uh, all the rage of everyone wants to be exactly where they live and where they work is the same place and to focus on amenities. And I think that there's uh, an interesting dialogue taking place right now as to what are the real amenities that are going to bring people to the office and what does the office look like. Um, and I think that that's drastically changed here over the past two years. And I'm excited to continue to to be a part of and, and you know, be a listener to what that looks like. And I think it really depends right. on, on the end user. Um, my crystal ball is as foggy as others in that office is not going to go away. Um, but it, I think it is going to look drastically different. Brett, as we close our conversation here, um, I'd like to ask a personal question and maybe a little bit of a personal narrative around you know, um, some pieces of advice that you can give to either your younger self or somebody coming into the industry and, you know, why commercial construction should be a great career choice for them. Yeah, I'll start with the latter first, if you don't mind. Um, Our industry is one for people that love to build and have something tangible. If that doesn't excite you, then it's probably not the industry for you. Um, what gets me up every day is that our teams are going to face a new challenge, whether that's in pre-construction or physically building um, and solving those challenges for something that's going to be a part of our community for the next 30, 50, maybe 100 years. Um, and that's something that should excite anybody coming into our industry. Advice I'd give for myself, and and I'm, I've got two pieces. One I actually got from from someone else, So, um, but it's every single person in our industry plays a very significant role. And we need to have respect and empathy for those people. It could be the person that's sweeping the floors and making a job site clean uh, so that we can work efficiently, or it could be the public entity or human that is cutting a billion dollar check. Every single one of those people deserves amazing respect for what they do to make our industry better. I'd also say to my younger self um, that, all too often, people that are trying to climb the corporate ladder and or industry ladder always look above them uh, on on the rungs to, you know, a C-suite or to, you know, a senior vice president. And all too often, uh, people look past their peers. And now having been in the industry for 20 years, my peers are who are running 
the industry and their organizations. Um, so I would caution people to um, to not look past their peers and build strong and meaningful relationships in their peer groups and not always try to look two tiers above them. It's always good to understand where the industry has been and, and who's leading it, but don't lose sight of of who will be leading it in the future. That's great advice. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, best of luck in the rest of the year and into, into uh, 2023. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Vlad. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. Music.